As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Ahead of the release of a fascinating new three-part documentary series investigating football's ongoing issues with racism, homophobia and mental health, England legend Rio Ferdinand sat down with the Athletics' Rashane Thomas for a conversation about taking action. Today, I'm joined by both Rashane and editor Richard Amofa to keep that conversation going. You'll also hear the interview with Rio Ferdinand and from the likes of Wilfred Zaha, Romelu Lukaku and Josh Caballo. I'm Dan Barnes and welcome to a very special episode of the Athletic Football Podcast. This a day English football had waited more than half a century for. Free f***ing lines. Free f***ing it for us. Now, what makes you that angry that you need to do that? How'd you go home then? You misses say, your kids say, listen, Dad, how was your day? Devastated with a defeat. Racially abused Sacco. No, that went down well. Got nicked for it. But I'll be all right. I'll get away with it. It'll be fine. It'll blow over. You fancy a takeaway, love? Why is football racist? Why am I having to explain this stuff to my kids? Are we really here again? Are we really still doing this? I'm scared to even look at my direct messages anymore because it could be filled with anything. I'm telling him, mm. like, yo, bro, this is racist to me, innit? Mm. I've shut it down from the get-go. Mm. Don't even make that a common word here. At the end of the day, we're going to practice something that we love to get hammered <laughs> by millions of fans about their skin colour because I miss the touch mm. or you give a goal away. So the documentary that we're going to be uh, talking about today and the documentary that's been produced is called Tipping Point and it's out on Amazon Prime on November the 11th. The first thing to say is that we're not going to debate whether or not football has a racism problem. Uh, We know that it does. Uh, And Rio's documentary isn't about that either. This is about the search for actual solutions. Isn't that right, Rashane? Correct. And I must say, Rio goes through great lengths to find answers in his documentary. It lasts the best part of an hour. And the whole entire documentary, he's just trying to find out, you know, why black players are always targeted on social media, you know, why little is done whenever they report it. The first question Rio asks is, is football racist? And that's how I started the interview. And I thought it was what a really good question. I, I, I don't have the answers. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, it's a great question. I really don't know. The supporters who go to games, by and large, some racist fans still exist. But when you think about football, loads of black players in the field. But for me personally, me being a journalist, by and large, me covering West Ham, if there's three black journals, that's a great day. Because mm. it's mainly me. When I go to an away game, I know I'm going to be the only black journal there, for example. You know, you think about more <coughs> director roles, by and large, still less further than not many, many others in this country. So it's a great question, but I really haven't, I really haven't got the answers. What about you? What do you reckon? Yeah. I think I think I think it is. I think there's racist elements that are in the game. I think filming the documentary was really to kind of like after the Euros, especially we were filming in, we were in the process already. But after the Euros, it just kind of comes to the fore, and you go, "Wow!" It, if anybody doubted if there was racism in and around football, yeah, that was a moment where you went, "It's definitely there." Mm. It was just hiding. And I kind of got lulled into thinking, ah, oh, football's doing a great job and it's fine. It's just that it was just hiding. That's all it was doing. Yeah. And then that happens. And then you sit there and go, okay, so what's the reaction of the game, of the, of, of, of the industry of football? Yeah. And there, there isn't really a, a, a strong enough one that you sit there and go, I'll stand behind that. Rich, um, when we talk, and I know this isn't an easy thing, when we talk about 
searching for solutions to racism like that's such a, a big question but it strikes me sometimes that the biggest sort of uh, obstacle to solutions is the fact that if you say that football's got a racism problem there are a lot of people that get defensive about that and they really hate that statement do you think that's one of the sort of biggest obstacles that we need to overcome when it comes to talking about these kind of things a hundred percent um i think that's a really good point you know we, we need to have a, a situation and a a forum now where you know open discussion is, is needed and, and to not be defensive of when when these discussions come up because it's not automatically saying person a's racist or person b's racist it's really looking at the whole system and and, and the whole you know everything behind it and, and around it so it's really important that when these things are raised it's not to attack anyone personally it's more about you know how do we change the structures how do we change the systems and and and, and how do we make it a safe space for everyone and i think we really made a really good point in his interview with, with Shane, in the sense that it's too fragmented, the response. The different stakeholders in the game all got their own message in. We were just talking off there before. you got commercial companies, Nike, Adidas, got their own slogans. The PFA got theirs, Premier League got theirs, the FA got theirs, Kick It Out got it. It's all, if you tell your kids or your niece or nephew or brother or sister, you couldn't send them to one place and say, that's the message. Yeah, no, sure. So the kids, the younger generation, or anybody looking at it, are even more confused coming out of that conversation. Yeah. While filming this, that's what we kind of see, that there needs to be a unified approach, the players unified, but also the messaging that goes out there for people when we're talking about combating racism needs to be really a unified, singular bang. That's our, that's our, our, our strap line, and we're all following that. Of course, look, these things are nuanced, right? I mean, not, not everyone's going to have the same response and feelings about everything but if there is one kind of body or one one faction which which works towards this then if there is a unified response and a unified solutions to this which we're all working on then it might be a stronger voice moving forward yeah that's a really good point um going back then to the uh, to the documentary Rashane then how long has Rio been working on this and what were some of the major obstacles that he faced when making this that he kind of explained to you he spent the best part of two years working on this documentary and one of the main issues he endured was getting players to, to speak because during the documentary he interviewed Adibayak and Fenwa, the retired uh, and former Wick and Wonder striker, of course, Enia Lukal, former England international. He spoke to Wilfred Zahar, as we all know, the Crystal Palace forward, Romelu Lukaku, currently on loan at Inter Milan. So he spoke to quite a number of prominent figures in football, but he wanted to speak to more people. And... One of the issues he was having was agents telling him, you know what, I know it's for a good cause, but I don't want my, my player to have all that attention right now. And me and Rio agreed that that was a negative way of thinking because they're not thinking of the bigger picture. Yeah, not enough players want to speak. Like I have to commend and, and, and give thanks really and really proud of like the contributors that, that come on, like, like Lukaku. Like they, they, these guys come out and, and, and spoken... I understand why some people don't want to speak because I say it in a documentary, I'm tired of talking about this, man. It's yeah. draining. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it's going over old ground all the time. So some of the players don't want to talk for that reason. And some of them are saying, well, why am I going to talk if nothing gets done? I'm wasting breath. I'm yeah. wasting my time because nothing gets done. Look at the three boys that got abused. What's happened after that? Look at when Sanso got abused. Look at when this happened. Look at what happens. The authorities don't seem to, to have the will to really want to change this. Yeah. So why am I going to talk? Yeah. And then take the flack that comes with it, maybe. The, 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 the spotlight, the attention. I don't want all that. I don't need it. So I understand that. But then if we all do that, then this problem stays there for another 50 to 100 years. Because I started playing in 2009. And I think Twitter was already... Just starting then. It started. Yeah. Now, 12 years down the line, you see it's just next level. Mm. After the stuff that happened, Marcus, Bukayo and Jaden mm. at the Euros, you know, a lot of players talking between each other. Like, mm. you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. We're talking between each other because things like that cannot keep on going. We should get together all together and basically go to the CEOs of the companies and have a, like, why, a proper meeting. Why doesn't meeting. happen though? Because I've always said that. Me and Thierry done a campaign years ago. Mm -hmm. Got people, got some attention. Oh, got with the Nike attention. thing. Yeah, with yeah, Nike. Yeah, yeah. It was great, but it's like flybys. Here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. And we've seen so many campaigns over the years. Why don't the players come together? Because the, the players have got more power now than ever. It takes one, one leader, yeah, one yeah, guy yeah. that wants to put his face up there mm. and take all the hits. Because at the end of the day, if you do that, you're going to take all the, you're yeah, going to yeah, take yeah. it all. You know what mm. I mean? So 
when we approached some players, it was about trying to just tell them and convey to them that this isn't just like a documentary for like for me as my ego or for just to say, oh, racism's a problem in the game or mental health's a problem or, or sexuality's a problem in the game, whatever. It was more about, yes, it's highlighting the issues, but what solutions could we get in motion to help start the eradication process yeah. and try to start the healing with these situations and start seeing a better outcome for these situations and the people involved. And that was the big thing for us. And I think we're, we're, we're on the right journey with that. We'll see once this drops how it's received. But yeah. I think the fact that I'm now going into to, to board meetings at board level with the Premier League, one of the stakeholders in the game, says that, okay, something's, something's clicking. Yeah. But by no means are we at a point where we go, it's done. We've, we've achieved what we wanted to achieve. This is just a start. And I think that was important. You know, in terms of the player who says, oh, you know, real, I just can't do it. But someone was saying, I spoke to my team, and we, we decided it's just not, not a thing we can do. It's mainly that. It's mainly like, my, my, my agent said, like, I can't do it. A lot of the problems were the agents, yeah. I have to be honest. It's not necessarily the players. Sometimes you don't even get to the player. Because yeah. like, I'm respectful. Like, I'll talk to the agent sometimes instead of the player. The players yeah. are concentrating on the game. Some players I went to. But mainly, I'm speaking to agents, and they're like, "No, I don't want. They don't. I don't want them to, to be seen like in in something like this. I don't want. They don't need the focus. They don't need the attention." I'm like, "Boy, it ain't really about the player. Yeah, this ain't about the player for sure. This is about them helping the next generation, the next person who hasn't got the resources of an agent or support system around them or the financial resources around them to to help them yeah. in these situations. It's for the people that go down the pyramid." that I want you to speak for. Yeah. And that wasn't really grasped by enough agents and enough people in the game to come forward and sit. Listen, we had a, a round table. I invited every single Cat A team. We invited to a round table in a hotel. Nice hotel, nice coffee, nice tea. Nice food? Food, everything, brunch laid on. Four, four, four or five teams turned up. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, like, I understand on one hand the... Uh, the apprehension and the uh, oh, people make documentaries all the time and yeah. it's a bit of a, an area where we don't want to be vulnerable. We, our, our, our image and our brand is at stake. I understand that, but I like to think that like, I played the game, I was in the game, there's an element of trust. I'm not trying to stitch anyone up. They exactly. must know that with me. And also, bigger than that is the issue. Yeah, for sure. But for whatever reason these people didn't turn up and, and, and testament again to the clubs that did some are doing good work some are on the road some are learning some wanted to learn yeah. but it was good to see that they 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 know about it mental health this was this this episode and they're really trying to to move the dial on it and but it's about communicating and talking man yeah. without these conversations the, the dial don't move no it's true Rashane, on that, I mean, sadly, none of us are professional footballers. Um, I'm sure every one of us wanted to be. But, uh, you know, how can you understand why it why it would be so tough to get players to speak about things and why why certain agents would be reticent to get their players to, to speak out? I, I, I do, to be fair. I do understand why some players would have been reluctant to, to speak and also feature on this documentary. So for example, you know, Ivan Tony recently put in a screenshot on Twitter of, of, of someone saying, uh, you know, ridiculous word to him. And we know, us three recording this podcast right now, little will come of that. Yesterday, for example, Middlesbrough United posted on Twitter, Chibrakon, and Twitter's response was, ultimately, doesn't meet the criteria. And we can see in full HD, full black and white, what that person said to Shubak Pond. So then a player looking at that thinking, why am I going to come out? Why am I, I going to speak on this matter? Nothing happens from it. I'm frustrated. And then I thought Wolf Zahar eloquently expressed his views as well during the documentary when he spoke to Rio. It used to get me so down. I used to think, why am I getting these crazy messages? Mm. And obviously now it's like, I tell Instagram, and they tell me I they can't do nothing. I have to go through each individual one and report it before they can help. Do you know, I get thousands. Mm. I get thousands, really. And it's not just report. You have to go through so much different things. I report this and, and hate speech and this and that. It's just like, nothing really happens. Mm. It's only that one time against Aston Villa that the, they've actually found the, the boy who 
sent me the crazy messages. That's the that's the only time. And I got abused for that as well because it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's a young boy, why are you doing that? Yeah, and he yeah, doesn't yeah. know and it's just like, you're not born racist, man. I went to Centre Parks, I never ever thought I'd go to Centre Parks. <laughs> I went to Centre Parks and my son was playing with a little white boy and it's just like, he's not looking at him and thinking, I don't want to play with this little black boy, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I'm getting abused for reporting some boy that's sending me clue cards, clan things coming to my house or whatever. So the whole ambition of what we're trying to achieve here is about like solutions, finding solutions for this. Well, let me get you into this because this is why this is, this is the interesting stuff here. And what this company does, you can give over a direct message. They go and find who the person is. They can go and find out if they support your club. They're a season ticket holder, where they work, where they live, where they frequent. They can get to everything. <laughs> so you will mad. know. That's, it's mad, isn't it? But we can be the disruptor in their life because they're disrupting your life and getting yeah. away with it. Whereas yeah. actually, they should have to go to work and be like, right, I've got to go to work and people know I'm a racist. But yeah, that'll make a difference, a massive one. I'm shocked by <laughs> all the stuff that this company's able to do. So mm. yeah, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you put me forward for this because mm. obviously this is passionate to me. So I'm glad I could be here. I can see why, on one hand why players are reluctant to speak, but any Luka I mentioned, you know, as a, as a collective, there should be more, more of us. More of us should be voicing our concerns. We'll get into it later on this pod, but you think about other sports like the NBA and how everyone comes together as a collective. And the more voices you have, the more impactful the message will be. So hopefully moving forward, we'll see more players coming together, although I know it can be frustrating for them. And perhaps on an even bigger level, Rich, I mean, can you understand why being someone that calls out abuse or someone that takes a stand to try and sort of fight back against kind of the systemic problems that that enable situations like this can you understand why why that's even, that's tough and you know why players or agents might even think that making those kind of statements can negatively affect their brand i mean think about the dilemma of colin kaepernick who has, hasn't you know is currently still a free agent and isn't playing in the uh in the nfl right now having you know taken the the very public stance that he did um yeah can you understand why because effectively having made the statement that he did all those years ago, you know, now he's, you know, he doesn't play in the NFL anymore and hasn't done for a number of years. I think, I think it's twofold. I think on the, on the agents thing, you need to have your players' best interests at heart, don't you? And, you know, a lot of them profess to do and a lot of them do good work, but not just, you know, off the field stuff or, you know, in a footballing sense, but, you know, if they, if they truly had, you know, their client's best interest at heart, then they would provide that environment whereby, the player would feel comfortable to talk about anything about their experiences or, or any other situation. Obviously, in this case, we're talking about racism or, or equally be supportive if they don't want to. But, you know, we've had experiences ourselves. We're trying to get players to talk about certain issues and agents have have, have put a block on it or, or tried to sanitise certain certain interviews. You know, if they really had their, their you know, their, their, their true interests at heart, they would be having these conversations, you know, in private and providing a safe space for them to talk. And then on the flip side as well, if the agents are talking about how how their clients should be perceived with regards to like their image or brand deals, then again, as I said earlier, it shows that there's a systemic problem that people who talk about these things are punished or are cast aside or, or, or put to the back burner. So I think my first point comes to the second point, because if there were more people talking about it and felt comfortable talking about it and were unapologetic about talking about it and really said how they felt, it would start to turn the screw. I mean, we are seeing more brands get on board with it, but if there is still that fear, it shows that there's still a slight underlying issue. So as, as Rio Ferdinand said earlier, if unless there's a unified approach to this where everybody's on board, and this is not just like black people having a response, it's, it's everybody. Because if everybody's comfortable talking about it, I think that's the only way in which we can really, really move forward. And I can see you waving your, waving your hand there, Rashane. Yeah, that's no, a great point from Rich. I also think a situation like this, the players should take ownership. You could be to age look, I appreciate the advice, but you know, I think I need to do this for myself. I remember watching um, Anton Ferdinand's uh, documentary with what happened between him and John Terry, of course. And he said at the time he was being advised not to say anything, like to keep quiet. He says, looking back now, he wished he had spoken up because him not saying anything almost accelerated his situation. What we want to hear from Anton, what's your thoughts on it? But because he's been advised to not say anything, obviously perhaps due to legal reasons, but looking back now, he wished he spoke. And I think players let's say documentary like this or one down the line, I think ultimately they'll look back and think, you know what, it'll be much better in my interest to say something rather than be quiet. 
Definitely. And to go and quickly got to go back to what you were saying, Rich, as well. I mean, with ter- in terms of organizations, if we if we think back about the uh, the tweet by Middlesbrough, where they tweeted after um, after Tuba Akpom was uh, was subjected to racist abuse, they tweeted out that this is completely unacceptable. They tweeted a screenshot then of their report to Twitter, which kind of said that this tweet didn't uh, didn't affect their uh, their guidelines. Um, so therefore, nothing was going to be done. But they also said they reported the matter to the police. But Whilst it might just be be a tweet from a football club, that's a that's an institution sort of showing support to an individual, right? And the more institutions do that kind of thing, I mean, do we think things like that can hopefully have a bit of a a bit of an impact? Yeah, hundred percent, Dan. Uh, I think obviously I can't speak for 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 uh, true back one, but I think that would have been massive for him to have the the backing of his club publicly. Because sometimes you know these things can be done in private, and you know they'll, they'll show support. But um, in 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 public, it's it's all a bit current as normal. So to have the whole club, and especially a club the size of Middlesbrough as well, obviously it's disappointing. Um, you know, with Twitter's response. But like I said, the more these things are called out, the more it will turn the screw. And in future, you'd hope it's impossible for them to ignore. Because as Rose said, you know, it's, it's there in black and white what what the individual said to him. Um, and that's a shame of that. But it would be, it would be massive for, for True Blackcomb to know that he has the support of his football club, support of his teammates. And you know, that, that's, that's a safe space for him, you know, moving forward that, you know, they have his back. Yeah, absolutely spot on, Rich. And when I spoke to Ria, I asked him, on average, you know, how often do you experience racial abuse on social media, whether it be Instagram or Twitter? And he said... It is driven a lot by incidents as well, or reaction to certain incidents. Um, so it's like around a certain goal or, or a certain moment in, in, in the game or by what I might say on in my punditry, then you'll see stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but also, like I, I'm, I'm not of the type of person sitting there searching and scrolling through my, my social media for, for all this stuff. Obviously, sometimes it's there and you, you, you can't not see it. Yeah. I mean, imagine just doing your job and a job that calls you to have opinions they can be, you know, they could be as much of a hot take as you want, or they can be as anodyne as you want. And you know that every time you put any kind of information out there publicly, you're going to get racial abuse. I mean, what what a life to live, honestly. And one of the other things that I wanted to bring up that Ria mentioned, which I think is, and I think this will resonate with every single person of colour who's listening to this episode. Rio spoke about the need for self-restraint. <laughs> and, that, and that word will, and that term, like I said, it will just will marinate and hit home with everybody. I mean, Rashane, can you explain what that means? Because I assume like everybody else, every single person of colour listening to this, you know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, ultimately being having self-control and not being the ang- angry black guy, <laughs> which is what it would be if you were to lash out. I'm rich you're laughing because it's true. If you are the angry black guy, if you lash out. And worst thing is you have to probably laugh it off, uh, you know, laugh it off, play it cool. But deep down, you want to react. And then he said it's so difficult. It's even worse with your kids. I think you grow into that. I think maturity is a, is a big thing as well, a big player in that. I think that you've got to... It's difficult, again. But listen, at the end of the day, if you're in a football stadium, sometimes there's, there's barriers between you anyway, which, is, which helps. But you've got to rise above situations like that as well. But it's difficult, man. It's hard, like... And listen, it's, it's different as well if you're with your kids mm-hmm. and something like that happens. It's very different. Has but... happened before when you were with your kids? No, that's what I'm saying. But I know in myself that if that happened with my kids there, I'd probably be a different reaction. But that's where I feel legislation and laws come into place. It will take that fire out of my belly yeah. if those laws were in place. Whereas if I knew, if I reported that guy that something will happen and he'll get the, the prosecutors will, will then get him and prosecute him, mm. then that fire out of my belly and that need for me to react with animosity and whatnot kind of will be taken away because I know that it's going to be dealt with. But yeah. right now, I've got no faith. Oh, me as well. Zero faith. What's and that's why a lot of the players don't want to speak. They've got no faith. They just feel like, oh, where's this going to go though? Yeah. It's not going to go nowhere. Listen, we've all experienced that one way or another at some point in our lives. I experienced it. You know, I mentioned this story quite a few times. I mentioned I experienced it on my first day at university where someone said to or someone asked me if I've been to prison. I don't even know this girl's name, but she's asking me, have I been to prison? And I have to laugh it off. I have to laugh it off like, oh, of course I haven't. But deep down I'm thinking, did you just ask me that question? Like, did that really just happen? Yeah, I mean, just, just to, add to add to that, Shane, like, we're always told, aren't we, to like, you know, we have to turn the other cheek and you always praise for being a bigger person. And, um... Don't know if you remember. It was only recently, actually, when um, on on the radio, when someone called up a radio station to um, 
criticise or, or, or to say something about the, the current Prime Minister and say, you know, he's, he's not fully English and, you know, he shouldn't be Prime Minister he because of that. He himself is a British citizen, isn't he? OK, lots of people are. Half of Al-Qaeda are British citizens. Have you just likened Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor, and possibly the next Prime Minister, to a member of Al-Qaeda? Is the real problem here, Jerry? that Rishi Sunak is a brown man and you don't trust him at the top of this country. We're talking about England, right? And, you know, she, she responded really well and she was really, you know, she was praised for reacting calmly, which, which was fantastic. It's a really good response. You know, try to educate him and move forward. But at the same time, you know, that's... If you want to receive an end of that trauma, there, there will be times where you might lose composure and it's not always easy to, to, to turn the other cheek. And I do feel that and I talk about safe spaces and I talk about having the environment to to really talk about things and things like trauma, things like that. If someone was to lash out, the first reaction then should be of support, not of, as you were saying, the angry black guy or this person's got an attitude problem or he's got a chip on his shoulder, you know, all things which you've heard and dealt with. You know, if somebody wants to react with emotion or be angry or be upset, then they should be allowed to do that as well. It's not just always... It's not always easy to turn the other cheek, and 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 quite frankly, why why should it always have to turn the other cheek? Why should it always be be the bigger person? Yes, of course, that you know that's good in a in a social sense, and you know we we've all done it, and we all move forward, and we all get our head down and crack on. But it it it's go, it just goes to show that even in discrimination, even when we're experiencing that trauma, we have to, as you say, be the bigger person, and our reactions are still being policed. I'm going to say two names, right? I want you to tell me what, what, what they have in common. So, Malky Mackay and Mark Sampson. Malky Mackay and Mark Sampson. They've both been cancelled. Maybe initially cancelled, but obviously Mark Sampson and any of Luke episodes and Malky Mackay racist text messages, right? Mm. But with them, they were given second chances. Malky Mackay now manages Ross County. Mark Sampson managed Stevenage. I want to get your thoughts on this, but for me, it seems like, you know, when that person makes a mistake, they apologise to get another chance. But a black person, that's it. One strike mm. and you're out. Do you subscribe mm. to that view as well? I think it's more difficult for someone of colour, yeah. That if they make a mistake like that, then to come back, very difficult. How long did Paul Lintz have out of management? Very long time. John Barnes has never got back in. They're just two examples, but I don't believe in cancelling people at all, though. I just think that, like, as long as that person shows empathy and compassion and acknowledgement of their mistake and willingness then to educate himself and come back into it and with, with a different perspective, they should be given a chance. But those things have to take place first. But yeah, listen, I think black players or people have, have, have a problem getting in the door, let alone if they make a mistake while they're in the door and stay in there. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think that's I think that's something we'll get onto a little a little bit later as well because I like the idea of uh, well, I think there's a lot to be spoken about in the ideas of cancelling and obviously second chances as well. But one thing I wanted to focus on, which I think I found fascinating, was Rio mentioning the way that they handle with incidents like this in the NBA. So we went away and we asked one of our colleagues in the United States to explain exactly how that works. I'm Jared Weiss, a Celtics reporter for the Athletic in Boston in the U.S. Racist abuse has become an issue for the NBA in recent years, and it's taken some steps to try to combat it. You know, the NBA announced an enhanced fan code of conduct in 2019 that addressed fan abuse becoming more damaging, and we've seen more instances of fans being removed, but it's not clear if it's truly been effective. I mean, fans have been banned, at least uh, in Boston, Philadelphia, and Salt Lake City, for calling star players actual racial epithets. Uh, a recent study in partnership with the Global Labor Foundation actually found that black star players were an outlier in how much better they played in the bubble during the pandemic in 2020, where there were no fans, and they attributed it to the negative impact of racist tension in NBA arenas. And the NBA arena is structured pretty much unlike any other sport because fans sit directly on the court and even alongside the bench. There's no place during the game that a player can be really more than a whisper away from a fan. So there have been plenty of stories from players about racial abuse that they come as a surprise when we hear them because these events never made the papers. I mean, LeBron James said on his TV show that Boston fans have been racist as blank in his experience. Uh, but Marcus Smart even said that he's had these issues and he's perhaps one of the biggest heroes in Boston. So this is an issue that has permeated society in the U.S. and it's been popping up more and more 
in NBA arenas, and the league has been quick to address it when it becomes an issue in the league. But if it's going to be changed or it's going to be more significant, it really remains to be seen what they would do if they saw it escalate to the level that we see in European football. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm on my way to meet Stuart Ward, who's the country's only dedicated football hate crime officer, which is quite amazing in itself. His job is to uh, help stamp out the rise in abuse uh, against fans and players. So you're the first person to do your role in football. Uh, was it personal experiences that led you to uh, want to get into this position? Or? Well, I enjoy football. The racism that I've experienced in my life, try and use that as a positive and try and use my experience, not just dealing with players, but when I'm dealing with supporters, to have that understanding of what, what's gone on mm. in my own life and try and turn a negative for them into a positive, mm. really. Right, so we're about to head into another major tournament, a World Club, um, and you can't help but shake the feeling that black footballers there are going to be just as vulnerable online as they were during the Euros. We all know that when Bukayo Saka, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford missed penalties in the penalty shootout against Italy 18 months ago, we all know the kind of abuse that they received and abuse based on the, the colour of their skin. It's tough, right? Are you guys expecting black footballers to be just as vulnerable, particularly even black English footballers in this next tournament? Or have we almost kind of become numb, numb to it in our job, Roshane? To be fair, I'm, I'm, I'm quite fearful for, for, for a lot of the black footballers out there. Not just for the English players, for like Brazil, for example. I remember Richarlison had a banana thrown at him recently. I'm quite fearful for what happened when you think about Qatar and how controversial it was in terms of them being awarded the World Cup and how there's still issues with gay rights out there as well. As a collective, I'm concerned in terms of what could happen at some of the, the games. I'm just hoping we learnt our lesson in terms of the Euros last summer. And even in that, I asked Rio what was the initial reaction when we missed those penalties. And he said, they're going to get it online. No, no, when yeah. you're doing really well, I found this when I played football, even. At the time, you're doing really well and you're fine and people don't see your colour. And the moment you do something wrong or you fail at something, like you missed a penalty, you're seen as black. Yeah. And the tone changes, how people see you changes. And that was evident in the way that the guys were treated after the missed penalties. Because before that, they were all heroes. Everyone shouting their name, Sterling, etc. Yeah, black players. They all pulling all sorts. England, of... it's England. It ain't you, you lot. Yeah, 
you don't have to give names, but has anyone come to you and said, <clears> I'm, really, I'm really struggling in terms of like people like being racially abusive to me or has anyone like sort of confided in you? No, but I think uh, the problem we have with football, and again, on this, this filming of this doc, communicating and allowing yourself to feel vulnerable in a real macho driven environment, which is a changing room, isn't something that is, is popular. That's not the culture of football. It hasn't been the culture of football for years. Showing a vulnerable side to yourself, saying, you know what, I feel weak or this gets me down, you're seen as like you're a weakness. Yeah. So that whole culture and mindset in the game needs to change and that's educating the coaches and the people that are running the clubs to allow the players to, to kind of feel open and speak. Because until that happens, a lot of the players will take on all of this by themselves and it's too much for a lot of people, most people. Not for sure. I think almost numb to it, to be honest. And I know that's sad to say because that's, you know, someone's lived experience. I think, you know, it's, and they say it's not just us here. I think we, we all know the drill. People working in a game, fans, supporters, you know, looking back to the Euros, for example, with when what happened happened, everybody knew what was going to happen. So I, I think f from that point then, it's like, okay, what do we want to see after? And one thing that did, I was happy to see after the Euros was the kind of public support for those players after, um, for from all races. And I just think that's just what we need now. I mean, look, these these things are always going to happen, sadly. So it's just okay. It's just about okay. What happens next? Do they have the support mechanisms in place? And will people speak out in support of them? And I think that that that's all that you know we can do. That's all the public can do is just keep you know condemning what's wrong and and, and pushing for change and say look, these punishments are obviously. Not, not big enough, not strong enough, and and just keep showing that support. And I think that's that's all you can do. But yeah, I would say that that impressed me last time. And not impressed, but just seeing that public support and knowing that those three boys weren't alone in that situation. I think that was really strong to see. And and hopefully we just see that kind of reaction again um, moving forward, and that everyone's in it together. Condemning what's wrong is something you said there, and I think that's something really important. I don't think anybody here would argue that that's something that we should do as a society, particularly when it comes to stopping people abusing people. And Rio, to wheel back to something that Rashane mentioned earlier, he mentioned that he wasn't big on cancel culture. Now, on a, on a personal level, I feel that that term, and I want to know whether you agree with me or not, Rich, cancel culture, is it a term that we should be using really? Because I feel that with the term cancelling having sort of come from sort of online culture to sort of describe you know, to be done as sort of like a tongue-in-cheek meme to say that you don't like something that a celebrity that you like does. And, and as sort of metamorphosized into the fact that if, if, if somebody who does something abhorrent is criticized or faces any kind of actual, you know, actual sort of uh, punishment for it in any way, whether that be just online or whether that be some sort of real-life consequence for the actions of something that shouldn't be acceptable, using the term cancel culture kind of sort of alludes to the fact that there's some sort of evil malevolent monster monster that eats them up that it's a culture that it's sucking up all these innocents who all they've done is just made a mistake but a do you think this is it's a dangerous term um and also should we not be scared of making sure that people who do act abhorrently whether it's online or in real life particularly when it comes to abusing people or causing trauma are punished correctly i agree with you with that you know words like cancel culture words like woke things like that, you know, they, they've been adopted by certain sections of society, haven't they? And um, kind of try and take on a, a kind of different meaning, um, which, which is a shame. I mean, I, I'm not sure what how else I'd describe it, because I guess it's so, like, well, like cancel culture, it's so kind of ingrained in that now. And I guess we all know what it means. But, yeah, I mean, look, as, as Roshane said earlier, and as Rio Ferdinand said very well, I think everyone, everyone deserves a second chance. But there has to be processes in place to show that you've taken on board what you said is wrong, and you understand the trauma that you've caused and, and the wrongdoing that that you've that you've done, um, and you know really prove and showcase that you'll learn you've learned from that and you won't do it again. So I feel like there are people who may see things in the heat of a moment. I'm not I'm not um, defending it at all, but if that person can show that they've learned from it and they've done the homework and they're truly sorry for what they've done and they want to learn and th and then on the flip side as well you know become become an ally and and be on be on everyone's side i'm not just talking about racism i'm talking about homophobia i'm talking about sexism it's, it's not just a case of just saying sorry and then just hiding in under a rocket being sorry fully understanding why you're sorry why you've caused the pain you've caused and then being supportive of the people who you may have abused in the past and i think until you've kind of gone through that whole process 
it's difficult to really take their apologies on board. Do you agree with that, Rashane, as well, and particularly with sort of the conversations that you had with, with Rio Ferdinand that, you know, that it's actually weirdly important to sort of put across that if there's not an evil sort of cabal of people out to get you and out to jump on 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 people who have who have made genuine mistakes obviously if you know there's there's being purely evil whether it's in real life or on the internet but also there's you know if people do make genuine mistakes that they or, or people do sort of so show sort of uh, remorse for what they've done that there's allyship there to and and sort of owning abuse and owning things that mistakes that are made that you know they'll with they'll, the sort of will people will help them with it and it's not it's not just a one strike and you're out kind of thing they, they are going to get support for doing the right thing ultimately for sure you know i've got a two-part answer to this question because as i mentioned earlier when we spoke about uh, mark sampson the reason why i brought that up is because he genuinely was remorseful he was like you know what i was bad for what i said but i want to educate myself now i want to become a better person as a result of this quite often you know, whenever someone's like made a racial comment or, or anything controversial, quite often this, I'm sorry, you guys caught me. You guys caught me, I'm sorry, but it's not a genuine apology. Whereas with someone like Mark Sampson, it was a genuine apology. And the reason why I said I got a two-part answer to this question is I, I brought up John Terry to um, to Rio. I didn't want to go too much on it because it's been, you know, highlighted and discussed, you know, enough since the incident happened with, with his brother Anton. And like I said, has football progressed since that incident? And he told me, I think it has. I really think it has, but we've got a long way to go. A very, very long way to go. And the reason why I mentioned John Terry is ultimately given a second chance because he works at Chelsea now. You know, as long as the person is very much remorseful and willing to educate himself, then I'm all for second chances. But if it's a case where you're not sincere with your apology, then, you know what I mean, you'll make a situation much worse. Hi, I'm Adam Crafton. And I'm the host of The Athletic's new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, you never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. Travelling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about show that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him here. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. We've spoken a lot about, you know, the racism that's discussed in the documentary. Episodes two and three obviously deal with other evils. Um, They speak about homophobia in football and a mental health crisis in the sport. And there's obviously a lot of crossover here as well. So, I mean, Rio says that the experience was so educational for him. Um, Let's listen to a clip here of him explaining that. The first question, when we started out on the sexuality episode, that's the first question I was asking. Why is there no gay Premier League player and blah, blah. And that we quickly worked out and found out through the conversations that that's part of the problem, that kind of question, is that it becomes a bit of a witch hunt. Where is he? Where is he? Like, that actually makes players go back into their shell or people go back into their shell. They don't want to be that person that's like, uh, that is kind of baited out and is, there's a witch hunt for trying to find them because they want to be able to come out and say, oh, yeah, I'm gay, but cool, yeah, and go back and carry on the normal day. Yeah. But... The way that the, 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 the ecosystem of football is now, obviously, because there's no gay Premier League players, they're openly gay and out. The environment isn't a safe one for them at the moment, they feel. They must not feel that. I, I, I think in the next five years, I reckon, I think it's very unlikely that we'll see, yeah. sadly. I really do. Because when you think about, um, like, for example, let's say, for example, I don't know, a tabloid paper says, oh, a player's about, going to come out. There's so much speculation, oh, it's that person, that person, that player, that person, mm. that person. If you're a gay footballer and it's not known to the public, you're looking at thinking, why on earth why, why I do all mm. this hassle? Like, why on earth will I do all this? But then there might be one, one person that says, you know what, I want that and I want to help other people because if I come out and I'm, that, and I'm that beacon of light, that will enable other people to feel comfortable and see my journey. I spoke to Josh Cavallo, who come out, who's the Australian player. It's like a dream come true for me to, you know, to be able to, to be free and play. Coming out, it was an unsure time for me. I didn't know what to expect from the public. I didn't know what to expect from my teammates. So it was just a, 
I kind of just went into the mindset of uh, let's do it. Like whether it's a good result or a bad result, like I knew at the end of the day, like personally, I was going to be happy. So as I've always said, like this was more than football to me. The priority was my happiness. Mm. What touched my heart was the messages that I get from parents, from grandparents, from mums, from dads, from from kids as well, just saying, oh, you helped me get through the day. You know, your story helped me get through it. I came out to my parents because of you and I can do this, I can live freely. And it's just fantastic to know the power one video could have. If you could say to the football world like what what they could do to make it an easier process for someone like yourself who's, who's in your shoes six months ago, what would you? What would that message be to football from yourself? You know, it's something that I struggled with the most was not looking up and seeing someone that was a pro and that was gay and that was comfortable and successful with it. And I feel like that's something that I can change through my coming out. and and show that it is possible to be who you are, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what colour background or whatever, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's your footballing skill, you know. It is okay to be you and be who you are. My sister's gay and she grew up hearing me just call people Batman on a regular basis or and my dad being really against gay people and stuff like that. Before you continue, right, we've got to let the viewers know because we're both similar backgrounds, so we know what that means. But if there's listeners, you won't know what the term yeah, Batman is. Well, Batman is just like, like a derogatory term yeah. for somebody who's gay. Yeah. Simple as that. And it was very common when I was growing up. It was a common word that was used. And again, doing the documentary about sexuality, it was very much about me being showing my mistakes, showing how culture was back then when I was growing up compared to what it is now, and educating the people that are going to watch it. And that journey was a real kind of insightful journey and quite a powerful journey, I think, looking back, watching it. Because it be, my, my sister coming out to me and Anton and, and my dad, three people that have openly used derogatory terms for gay people in the house. Yep. And for her to come out and speak to us about it, it was really hard for her, man. Um, and then speaking to other players who have, have come out as gay. Thomas Hitzelsberger played yep. for West Ham. Yep. And like going and seeing him in Germany and just like, he was told as a young player, like, if you, if you are gay, don't come out while you're playing. Like, because of how that could affect and impact his career and stuff like that. So, um, really hard, but each individual is very different. I think I learned about myself is that, yeah, education's massive. Yeah. You need to educate yourself, you need to immerse yourself. We've got so much tools and platforms that you can go on and understand other people um, to be able to educate yourself on the different topics. To, to really put yourself in a better place. I think now more than ever, especially as we're going to a World Cup where, you know, homophobia is, is a big topic of discussion. It is rampant in, in, in the home country. You know, it, it's something that we all need to highlight, shed a light on and provide safe spaces for, for everyone, as you say, whether it's gay people, whether it's black people, whether it's women, everyone, every, you know, they say football is everyone's game, don't they? But what we're seeing what we're talking about it's clear that to some section of society that that's not the case so the more that we can do to provide safe spaces and, and be allies for, for everyone you know it would only enhance the football experience for everyone and, and hopefully that can seep into wider society as well so as we said earlier on um Rio, as part of his documentary explains and his interview with Shane as well of course explains that he's he's trying to find solutions and there is an online safety bill that we're expecting, which should hope, you know, should hopefully kind of represent a way that online abuse will be hopefully curtailed and policed a little bit more. I mean, online abuse is a modern phenomenon and it's the easiest way for somebody to send a message to someone around the world at any time of the day. And it's it's a tough way that sort of this kind of thing. But obviously, Twitter itself has gone through a major ownership change. So... We, don't, we really don't know if that online safety bill is going to come into force anytime soon. I mean, Rashane, how much hope hangs on that kind of legislation? Because whilst whilst obviously as a society, we, we want to try and sort of police people that, or we want to sort of try and stop it being so easy for people to just say the most reprehensible things to each other. But how much hope hangs on the, that legislation to actually do that? Because that's actually going to make this a matter of law. Oh, hugely, and it's recently been pushed back by, by the uh, government. And that was my last question to Rio. And I could see on his face just how frustrated he was because, as I mentioned earlier, he approached Twitter Meta for comment. And it was almost an ongoing in terms of them not giving their thoughts in the documentary and how they're going to try and improve situations in the, in moving down the line. It will be a travesty if that doesn't get passed. I think that the, 
the online bill and the players that have come in there and put themselves out to kind of make change and make it positive and make the, the social media companies accountable um, for policing their platforms in the right way. It'll be, it'll be a massive shame if that doesn't get passed. And, and we're going into another World Cup now with, with zero protection for players. For players, it's having to go through it again. The process of having to go through, you know, seeing screenshots or, or seeing a video sent to them or being racially abused. So when we tied in earlier about players maybe we'll be locked into it, it's a long process. So hopefully something like the middle ball will come into force fairly soon. And then we can see situations improving down the line. Because this is the one thing we all really push for. You're really passionate about this. And hopefully, further down the line, we do see them online, the safety ball being passed to see some sort of, um, see some uh, victory for this. Definitely. And, and Rich, obviously, to... You know, it's great that, that Rio spoke to Rochelle about this and obviously it's, it's great that he's done this documentary. I mean, what what kind of impact do you think hopefully it's going to have sort of such a such a prominent football player? Obviously someone that, you know, a lot of people of a certain generation will remember for a, for a, for a very successful football career and obviously he was a prominent England player as well. I mean, what kind of impact hopefully do you think it would be will be had by seeing sort of such a prominent football figure embark on sort of a, a bit of a journey like this? I think I think it'll be huge. Um, you know, someone of that stature in the game taking himself on a journey. And I, I think it was important that he touched on, you know, other aspects as well, not just racism, but homophobia, about mental health, because you know, these these are things which not just affect football but society at the moment as well. So yeah, of course it will have a, it will have a great um, impact in terms of people watching it and people learning and, and I guess that's what we want. We want people to, to learn and educate themselves and, and move forward. And you just hope that more and more people can come forward and do things like this. And it's not it's not just a, doing a documentary. It's about using your platform to to try and create you know affect change where you can. You know, us as journalists can we can use our platforms to talk about these things on a daily basis where possible. If you've got means to do a documentary, then that's that's fantastic. You know, if you've got a means to to you know to talk to your your neighbour or people up the road and talk about experiences. You know, I think everyone's got a role to play. And I think sometimes, you know, we make the mistake that. You know, it's, it's it's just up to black people to, to do these, you know, we talk about racism or it's just up to, to gay people to talk about homophobia. And I think the moment that we all become comfortable talking about these things and then we can move forward. And I think, as I say, we all have a role to play. It's that old adage, we've got a long way to go. I mean, I've heard this all my life um, and I'm almost 30. More things like this can create that change and create action, hopefully moving forward. Yeah, just the last point, Dan. I hope someone will watch this documentary and feel like, you know what, I learned a lot. You know, being devil's advocate here, let's say, and as a white person listening to this podcast, if it can, oh, here we go again talking about racism. But if they watch the documentary and be like, you know what, I learned a lot. Then I know the documentary's done its purpose. All of this podcast's done its purpose. You know, it's, it's, it's not going away. We're not going away. We're going to keep talking about this. You know, we're very grateful to have the platform to keep talking about this. And as we're saying, said, you know, if people want to roll their eyes, tough because we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep highlighting it. And, and hopefully, you know, it, it can affect change. Great point. Great point, guys. OK, so, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Rashane. Thank you, Rich. Um, and thank you to Rio Ferdinand for speaking to you. One final reminder for everyone that you can watch Rashane's interview with Rio Ferdinand on the Athletic Football YouTube channel, or you can read the full interview on the site and the app right now. Um, if you're not a subscriber, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. You can do that by going to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Um, we'll have another episode of the Athletic Football Podcast for you tomorrow afternoon when Gareth Southgate will have named his squad for the Qatar World Cup. I'm sure everyone will react very calmly to that. We'll look forward to it. Thanks very much for joining us. The Athletic. <laughs>